morning, church. This morning's scripture reading will be from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five the other five master he said you entrusted me with five bags of gold see I have gained five more his master replied well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things come and share your master's happiness the man with two bags of gold also came master he said you entrusted me with two bags of gold see I have gained two more his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here? What belongs to you? His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received back with interest. So take that bag of gold. So he took the bag of gold from him and gave it to the one who has ten bags for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even with what they have, will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. You may be seated. An outline inside of the announcement sheet um, that I would focus your attention to right now is uh, we get ready to look at Matthew chapter 25. It's an outline that uh, kind of follows the flow of the sermon. Uh, you can take notes and, and, and uh, things that, that might be significant to you, write them down to think about maybe later. And uh, we're going to jump into this text right now, uh, beginning with a prayer. And we're going to ask God to bless us as we we study His Word. Let's begin with prayer. Father, how great You are to us. And how wonderful Your grace as it comes streaming into our lives. And even when we find ourselves in valleys, Father, it is a light to us. And it is a source of confidence and of strength and of joy and of peace. And You have done it. And You have overcome our circumstances and overcome our walls and the obstacles that we put up to Your grace, Father. You have overcome them in love. And we are grateful for that mercy and that forgiveness that comes to us. 
Thank You, Father, for the cross of Jesus. Thank You, Father, for, for the salvation that comes to our souls. And we're grateful for this Word that has just been read, Father, as it instructs us and helps us to understand. It gives us a vision for the life in front of us, the days that You have given to us, how to live in such a way, Father, that it blesses people around us and blesses You. Help us to be diligent in our study and bless us with eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Think for just a moment of all of the different ways that we use to gauge where we stand, what our value might be, what somebody else's worth might be in the world. Think about all those ways that we gauge other people's worth, or even our own worth. And then think for a moment about all of the times where we see somebody or we hear somebody who's racked up a lot of statistics and yet they're still an unfulfilled and an unhappy individual. Back in 2014, Microsoft paid $2.5 billion to buy Mojang AB, which is maybe a company you've never heard of, but you probably have seen, or at least if you have children, you know one of the big products that they put out there. They paid $2.5 billion to acquire Mojang AB, which is... Uh, the creator of the gaming sensation, Minecraft. $2.5 billion for Minecraft. The deal made the owner of Mojang AB, Marcus Pearson, a billionaire with a personal worth of about $1.3 billion. He immediately outbid Beyonce and Jay-Z for a $70 million uh, mansion in California that in the listing described it as an overwhelming sensory experience. It's outfitted with M&M towers, multiple vodka and tequila bars, a movie theater, 15 bathrooms, each equipped, we're told, with toilets that cost more than $5,600 apiece. That's a beautiful home. But on August 29th of this year, just a couple of weeks ago, Pearson who is now a billionaire, $1.3 in personal worth, posted a series of tweets that captured his gnawing sense of unhappiness and dissatisfaction. I'm going to read you those tweets. Now remember, these tweets were broadcast on Twitter, or, or tweeted on Twitter, in a span of five minutes. 4.48 a.m. in the morning. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Two minutes later, hanging out with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. Two minutes later, when we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. One minute later, found a great girl, but she's afraid of me. And she's afraid of my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. One of the, the pitfalls, one of the traps that as human beings we fall into from time to time, and it doesn't matter what culture you're in or what time of, 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 of history you're in, we fall into this trap. And that is net worth is one of the ways that we measure the worth of a person. We take their assets and we subtract all the liabilities, and that gives you the net worth. 
And fight that as we might, you know, we still have to recognize the fact that, you know, we, we still, there's something about people making a lot of money that's attractive to us. We want to know. Think about how many people flock to the Forbes list of the richest people in the world. Who's on top? Who got supplanted? There's something about knowing who has the most money in the world that is compelling to us. And it's not just what you make. It can also lead to what you buy. You know, what neighborhood is your house in? Or the square footage of your home. Look at my new 6S. Now, many of you are wondering what a 6S is. That's probably because you're still using a flip phone. But look at this new phone that I've got. And in the midst of a consumer-based rankings and measurement of people, and ourselves included in that, we never hear much about the liabilities, do we? We never hear much about the liabilities. And there's a lot of them. Let me give you three very quickly. The first one is debt. We can have what we want today because we can get it with a credit card. We can have the life that we can't afford. Yesterday's pleasure is bought with tomorrow's money. And you know as well as I do that stress from debt is one of the number one leading indicators for divorce in America. Debt. There's also the dark side. Can you know, we've, we've talked about this before. You know, each, every one of us have inside of our heart the seeds of our own destruction. And with this kind of thinking about acquisition and, and compiling the statistics, you can actually water the wrong seeds in your heart. You can fuel the dark side of life, which leads to pride and to arrogance and to greed and to gluttony and unfulfillment and unhappiness and all of the things that Mr. Pearson's experiencing in this life. And it's just a hop and a skip and a jump to spiritual blindness. When money becomes the ultimate good in my life, then it turns into a God that rules and drives my life. That's true not only for those who have a lot, but it's also true for those who don't have a lot at all in this life. It's sort of boggling to the mind that Jesus said these words to some poor peasants on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee at a time when they were being taxed out of their minds in that first century A.D. He said to them in Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't know what he was referring to. They didn't have an Amazon. They didn't have Sam's Club, Costco, or, or Groupon. But they struggled with money. They struggled with stuff. Paul wrote to Timothy in Ephesus along these same lines. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the what? The love of money... Money itself is something that you can use for good. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, loving money, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I saw a video uh, recently of an auctioneer in the, uh, the southern Kansas City area who said that he and his colleagues can take the, the, the compilation, all of the acquisitions that a person is, has, has acquired throughout all of their life and dispose of it in four hours. 
If your life's work has been about acquisition, racking up statistics, then at death, your life work can be disposed of in four hours. You know, wrestling with the importance of money and a meaningful, significant life is an issue for all people, not just those that have, also for those that have not. An issue for all people of all ages in all places. That's why we're grateful to know that Jesus offers a different way. And that's what this parable is about. Jesus tells the story of the talents during the last week of his ministry on earth. You know that on Sunday of that week, he is ridden in through the Golden Gate into the temple area. It's Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Everybody's recognizing him as, as, as the son of David. And as he begins to teach that last week in Jerusalem, he begins to incorporate an element of, of judgment into his teaching. He's ramping up and amping up the seriousness and the sobriety of his teaching because he knows that on Thursday he's going to be arrested and by Friday he's going to be dead. He's telling the truth as plainly as he can so that people get it. And he tells a story about a king, about a wealthy gentleman, a king going on a long journey. He's gone for a while. Before he goes, he calls three of his servants into a meeting with him. And while he's explaining the trip and what he wants them to do, he does something very, very surprising. He gives them, of all things, gold. He gives them gold. One of his servants gets five talents. One gets two talents. One gets one talent. Verse 15 says, it's all according to their ability. Now, before we go on, we've got to ask a very important question. What in the world is a talent? It's a good question. A talent was used back then in ways differently than we would use that word today. Talent, we think of a, of a skill set or something, some innate gift that you've been given that allows you to do something very, very well. A talent during this period of time was actually a measure of a, a unit of measurement. It was a measurement of weight. And a lot of debate as to what the talent really, how big it really was. But I think that Jesus, because he's in the Roman Empire, probably using a Roman talent. A Roman talent is roughly 33 kilos, which means more or less it's 73 pounds. Anyone here know the, what the price of an ounce of gold is today? 1,000 is an ounce. $1,170 for an ounce of gold. Now, literally, actually, it's $1,169.80. I'm not very good at math. Let's round up to that 70. So one talent of gold is worth $1,366,000 U.S. dollars. So the one talent guy gets over $1.3 million in gold. The two-talent guy gets $2.7 million, and one guy gets five talents, which is over $6.8 million. Now, in this meeting, this rich man, this king, is distributed over $10 million between these three servants according to their ability. And as the, the rich man is getting ready to go to the journey in which he is going to return, he says to them, I want you to manage these resources in my absence, knowing that I'm going to return one day. So you know what he does in essence? He makes them financial managers. 
They are resource managers. He has given them something that they are to manage. He goes away and then he returns. Five years, ten years perhaps. Calls them together. The servant that was given $6.8 million hands over twice as much, $13.6 million, and he hears the king say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. The two-talent guy, who was you know, he's given $2.7 million in gold, hands over $5.4 million in gold. Here's the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Last guy, a little peculiar, He's given $1.3 million, the, the least really of the liabilities, and he hands back only the $1.3 million that he was given initially years earlier. Now, let's step out of that story for a second and just imagine that you know that retirement's coming. It's 20 years down the road. You give you know, this investor, a he or a she, you give this investor a large, large, large amount of money. Maybe not all of your savings, maybe not all of your accumulated wealth in all of the years that you have worked, but it's 20 years away from retirement. So what do you do? You give them a bulk of that and say, hey, listen, I need you to invest this money and do it wisely. So you come back in 10 years and you ask the investment banker, you know, I, you know how am I doing? How, how am I doing? I'm getting ready for retirement. Ten, it's 10 years away. How am I doing? And he goes, I want you to know that when you gave me that money, I was so serious about it that I went in the backyard, dug this big hole, and I dumped all of that money into it and covered it up. And guess what? I knew you were coming in today. I, went, I got my fellas out there. They dug it up. Here is your money back. What would you say to him? You're fired. You're fired. You were given something important. And you didn't handle it in the right way. And what the king says, what the rich man says to this fellow, is a lot more harsh than you're fired. The point of the story, the point of the parable, is that we've been entrusted with something that we need to use wisely. We've been entrusted with our lives We've been entrusted with a degree of intellect. We've been given some skill sets, some gifts, some talents that gives us the ability to, to do certain kinds of things in this life. We've been given resources. And the question is this, what did you do with your life? All the things that you were given and blessed with, big or small, much or little, what did you do with your life? Now, that's one of the ways that your life is going to be measured. Now, it's not wrong to have possessions. I mean, that's a part of life. The Bible is filled with the stories of people who were blessed with tremendous wealth. The question, though, behind all of the amounts and all of the resources and all of the blessings is this. What did you do with the life that you were given, with the things that you were given? How did you manage your resources? In all, if all you've done in your life is to compile and ac accumulate, then maybe it's time for us to, to remember, even memorize this verse out of Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus Himself said in Acts chapter 20, it's actually they're quoting Jesus from something He said before He died, it's better to give than to what? Receive. 
That's how blessings take place in that, that horizontal plane. Think, think about it this way, just in terms of, of us in this church asking that question of ourselves, what did we do with the life and the things that we have been given? Just think about it. In this year, over 550 families are going to be blessed with food and presents for their children during the Christmas holidays. Our ministers, our staff have met with hundreds of people this year coming for help and receiving that help. But not just financial help, but a challenge and a strategy to make better use of their resources. Hundreds of families have come through the care cottage for food and clothing. People from our church have gone on short-term mission trips in order to share the gospel. Teenagers from our church, as well as in um, cooperation with other churches, have gone into our city to scrape down and repaint eight houses in that South Texas heat. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Bibles shipped to schools in the Soviet Union that are begging for Bibles because of the way that we think about money. Lots of other things. But all of these things happen because people in this church understand that God has made them resource managers in His human project. And what the parable teaches us is a couple of things. Number one, invest your resources wisely. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. How much you make is not an indicator of what you're worth, but what you do with it that really matters. And then finally, it's better to give than to receive. Jesus Himself said this and He should know. It's the Christ who in love gave Himself on the cross so that our lives might be turned around by God's love. The story of a 10th century Spaniard uh, powerful man, a ruler. His name was Abd al-Rahman III. 10th century Spain. Lived in complete luxury. Here's how he assessed his life, and I quote, I have now reigned above 50 years in victory or peace, beloved by my subjects, dreaded by my enemies, and respected by my allies. Riches and honors, power and pleasure have waited on my call, nor does any earthly blessing appear to have been wanting to my felicity. Now what he's saying there is that he had fame and riches and pleasure beyond imagination. Sounds kind of great. But he goes on to write, and again I quote, I have, this is a guy that has reigned for 50 years. He says, and I quote, I have diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot. They amount to 14 days. End of quote. A columnist in the New York Times in thinking about the life of Al-Rahman, a fellow by the name of Arthur C. Brooks, assessed the life this way. He writes, he had a formula as he sleeped, walked through life. Formula, love things, use people. It is the worldly snake oil peddled by the culture makers from Hollywood to Madison Avenue, but you know in your heart that it is morally disordered and a likely road to misery. You want to be free of the sticky cravings of unhappiness and find a formula of happiness instead? How? Simply invert the deadly formula and render it virtuous. Love people, use things. End of quote. 
so important that we think about the blessings that God has given us and the way that we turn those into blessings into the entire community and the world around us because we recognize that our worth and our significance and our meaning and the importance and all of that kind of stuff comes from the very fact that we are made in the image of God and He loved us, that He gave His only begotten Son in order for us to become His sons for all of eternity, His sons of righteousness. And beginning on the day that we enter into that relationship, the joy and the peace and the significance and the power and the growth and the confidence, and the direction, and the purpose, and all of those things that are part of the bundle of what it means to be a child of God become so much more of, of greater worth and are more precious to us than anything that rusts or moths could eat or thieves could steal. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. If there's a way that we can minister to you this morning, maybe by finding the Gospel to be true and, and implementing the Gospel message in your life from today until the day that you see God face to face and then from then on into eternity. Or if there are other things that we could be praying about in your life or helping you in any way, come down and talk to our spiritual leaders, the shepherds who are down here at the front as we stand and praise God together.